0: Well, today is a, is a big day in our country, it's Super Bowl Sunday, I don't know, a lot of you are probably going to eat more than you need to tonight, I don't know if you're going to watch the game or you're just going to watch the commercials, um, but it's an interesting thing as we come to a, a Super Bowl like this, we're watching a lot of people on the field who are, let's admit, way overpaid, okay, for what they do, but also very gifted, right, I think the reason that we watch professional sports is because we see giftings in people, but we also recognize this today, that it's not just giftings or abilities, but it takes discipline to get to that place. I had a friend when I was in high school who was a, a really good football player, actually ended up going on to be on some of the practice squads in the NFL, ended up playing uh, in the European League, but all I saw in him was just discipline, to eat right, right, to, to work out regularly. We know this today, that in order to see a, a physical change, we need to be disciplined, right? There's a lot of workouts out there called uh, total transformation workouts, right? I want to totally transform my body. I know this. In order to transform myself physically, I have to watch what I eat. I have to be disciplined about working out. There's so, much, so many things that I need to do in order to do that. But here's the reality this morning. A lot of us as Christians failed to realize that in order to transform ourselves spiritually, there are also disciplines that we need to put into place. And so we've been in the midst of a series on the spiritual disciplines, and we said from the very beginning that the purpose of these disciplines is a total transformation of the self. And i got to be honest this morning, these disciplines that we're talking about are more important than the physical disciplines. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote to a young Timothy, he said this, bodily training is of some value. In other words, Timothy, it's good that you would go to New York Sports Club. It's good that you would work out. But he said this godliness is a value in every way. You know that this morning? Godliness is a value. In every way, And so we're talking about these disciplines, and I want to be very clear today as we jump into week five of this series that it's not these disciplines that save us. We are saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's our faith that saves us. We're going to come to the communion table at the end of the service today, and we're going to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we recognize that today, right? That the the gift of salvation is just that it is a gift. It's a free gift of God. But when we come to, to faith in Jesus Christ, we start out as baby Christians. I don't know if you remember those days. Maybe they're very close, right? But we start out as baby Christians, and as baby Christians, we need spiritual milk. But I want to tell you that spiritual milk ought to grow us. It ought to transform us. Listen, a six-month-old in a diaper drinking a bottle is pretty cute, but a 30-year-old in a diaper drinking, that's disturbing, right? And so we know this. As we're in the Lord, he wants to grow us. He, he wants to mature us. But in order to mature us, there are certain things that we must do. This series it's based on a book by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline, and if you want to supplement what I'm speaking about on Sunday morning, I encourage you, uh, you can pick that book up and, and read along with us. And I want to say, while it's great that we're spending a lot of time talking about these things, here's the reality, unless you do them, you won't see growth in your life. Unless you put these things into practice, you will remain unchanged. Whenever you want to see change in your life, I say there's two uh, questions that you need to ask. They are how and when. Again, if I want to get into shape physically, I've got to ask how am I going to do that, right? Am I going to go to the, uh, to, to the gym? Am I going to work out in my garage? Am I going to start walking? How am I going to do that? And when am I going to do that? And unless I answer those two questions, it's not going to happen. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. We've talked about these inward disciplines over the last four weeks, right? These disciplines of meditation and prayer and fasting and study. And so I would encourage you this week to take some time with the Lord and ask those questions, how and when, right? How am I going to study the Word of God? Am I going to get a book that I'm going to work through that's going to help me dig into Scripture? Am I going to get a new study Bible, right, that's going to allow me some more insight? And when am I going to do that? Is it first thing in the morning or is it right before I go to bed at night, right? I, I need to ask how and when. When fasting, right, how am I going to fast? Is it going to be a straight fast? Am I going to do a Daniel fast? Am I going to fast a meal, right, the same meal for a week? What's that going to look like? Once a month to begin. Whatever that is, we need to ask how and when. I challenge you, take each of these inward disciplines and say how and when am I going to incorporate that into my life? And so for the next four weeks, we're going to focus on four, what we would call, outward disciplines. And here's what I think. For most of us, we are, are probably not going to be sidelined in our lives by massive sins and failures. Most of us, when we, when we come to the Lord and we start following Jesus, most of the things that sabotaged us in, in the early stages of life, they seem to fall away pretty quickly, Now, don't get me wrong, there's still the possibility of of catastrophic failure, and we need to be on guard against the work of the enemy in our lives. But here's what I think. I think so often that that he is so much more about distracting us than completely taking us out. And so as we walk with the Lord, we can become less and less effective in the work of the kingdom, less and less uh, moving into the freedom that God has for us, more by distraction than by any other means. What the enemy does is he looks at our lives and he says, okay, well, you're serious about this Jesus thing. Huh? You're, you're going to follow him. Okay, well, why don't you uh, carry this for a little while? And I see you've got an empty hand there. Why don't you carry this as well? I, I, I see you've got some margin in your life, and so why don't you fill it up with this and do this and, and, and take on this? And before we know it, our lives, we've said so many yeses in our lives that we're weighed down and we're burdened and we're tired, and we know that Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but we're living with a hard yoke and a heavy burden. Does that sound familiar to anyone this morning, right? You're in the midst of all this, and so our prayer life can be devoted to how we manage our stuff, and our calendar's maxed out, and we have absolutely no margin. We're scheduled down to the minute. We have little or no time to deal with the problems of life and the issues that come our way. We're, constantly in almost this this chaos mode that we call life, thinking that that's what life ought to look like. And, And so today's message is going to be a bit challenging because I want to focus on probably the hardest discipline to develop. It is the discipline of simplicity. Now, maybe you've never thought of simplicity as a discipline, but I want to tell you it is. Because we live in a world... With, with so many conflicting messages about how we uh, are supposed to live our lives, how we're supposed to spend our time and our resources, and so keeping faith simple often gets lost. And so how do we strip back all the complications that get in the way of living the life that God has called us to live? We talk about freedom a lot, right? We, we sing about freedom a lot, but how do we live into that freedom that we sing about? I would argue that it comes primarily through this discipline of simplicity. In his book, Richard Foster says this. He says, simplicity is freedom and duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance. Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. So what is simplicity? I would say this at its heart. Simplicity is the inward reality of a focus upon God and his kingdom. And this inward reality will always flesh itself out in an outward lifestyle of simplicity. You see, some people love the idea of simplicity, right? I'm going to declutter the house. I'm going to decorate very simply, right? But when we talk about this idea spiritually, I want to say we deceive ourselves when we believe that we can possess an outward reality without first having an inward focus, And the reason that the spiritual discipline of simplicity is so difficult for us, and we're going to wrestle with that some this morning, but the reason it's challenging is because it is completely countercultural to what is happening in our country, right? You would think, man, simplicity ought to be simple, right? Simplicity ought to come easy, and the reality is simplicity requires an intentional effort to learn how to live simply. Simplicity starts in our hearts And it grows by the Holy Spirit into every area of our lives. And it needs to be built around the spiritual discipline that Pastor Sal talked about last week, which is a life of prayer. In order to live a life of simplicity, we must be led by the Spirit of God. We must know what God is calling us to do, but we also need to know what he's not calling us to do. Amen? And so the Apostle Paul says something very profound to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes these words, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. For indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. He says, I I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do, come on, church, say it, all things, right? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I want to say we misuse that verse so often when we throw it on a shirt, right, and, and think it's about, you know, dunking a ball, right? <laughs> about doing something athletically. Paul says, I can do all things, but what is the most difficult thing to do? It's, it's a thing Paul's referring to here. It's being content. <laughs> it's being grateful, right? Regardless of my situation. It's being content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. There is contentment and joy in Paul's heart, and it's something we all desire. And yet the world would tell us the way of contentment is by getting more stuff. Listen, gifts are good, they're fine, but joy doesn't come from stuff. And so the life of simplicity is a life that's focused on what is truly important. Paul is actually living out before the Philippians what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? We're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning there in verse 19. This was a, a verse I learned. I remember when I was going to Cornerstone here, uh, and it stuck with me through the years. Verse 19. Of Matthew chapter 6 says, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the truth today. Your heart will always follow your treasure. Your heart will always follow your treasure. You don't believe me? Just go and buy some stock this week in a company you never cared about, and all of a sudden you'll care about it, right? All of a sudden everybody cared about GameStop. They didn't care, right, before that. All of a sudden there's all this focus on it. Why? Because my money's there, and so my heart follows my money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Take that same principle and apply it to the kingdom of God. If you want your heart to be about the kingdom of God, put your treasure there. Put put your time there. Put your resources there, and I guarantee you, your heart will follow. People say, I don't know, Pastor, my heart's just not in it. Put your treasure there. Put your time there. Put your resources there. Your heart will follow. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. Now healthy here and unhealthy very simply means this. If both of your eyes are looking at the same thing, you're healthy. Right? If both of your eyes are focused on the, the same thing, then light comes in and you see very clearly. But if one eye is looking at one thing and the other eye is looking at another, the end result will be darkness internally. Now, look at how he fleshes this out in the next verses. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, listen to this, you cannot serve God and money. Now, the word here, money, is really a placeholder for something much more profound than just the dollars and cents that are in your wallet or in your bank account. It is actually the word mammon. And it is the only alternative God that Jesus calls out that you have to be very responsible with. And so he's saying, if you're looking in two different directions at the same time, if you're looking at God and and mammon and you're giving both of them equal focus in your life, then what is inside is darkness and how great the darkness. Because you think it's not dark, right? I'm fine. You think you're managing well, and as things begin to drift, your life fills with an unmanageable amount of duplicity, not simplicity, that begins to split you down the middle. You struggle to be in two places at once. How horrible is that, right? And so what's the solution to this? I want to tell you, it's a life of focus, and it's a life of simplicity. Look at what Jesus goes on to say. He says, therefore... Therefore, in other words, because of this, because of what a life of duplicity leads to, he says, I tell you, do not be anxious. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And, and why are you anxious about clothing? I mean, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the, into the oven... Jesus is saying this, you get a simple, single focus. And, and what is the outcome of a life like that? It's the life of Paul where he says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. Now understand what, what neither Paul or Jesus is saying in the scriptures. They're not saying I want you to learn to live on nothing. They're not saying you, you can never have anything nice in your life. They're not saying you can never enjoy anything. No, the point that they're trying to make is don't obsess over things and don't worry about stuff. Too often things dominate our thoughts and they complicate our lives, don't they? And what Paul says is that, man, I'm good. I could be content with a little and I could be content with a lot. I could be content, man, when it seems to the world like I have nothing. But we live in a culture that pushes back against that, right? We live in a culture that says, no, you can't. Are you kidding me? You can only be content with a lot. You'll only be content if you have more and you have better. And so we keep collecting and we keep getting more stuff because we think someday this stuff is going to make me content. You and I understand we live in a culture that's filled with designer dissatisfaction. Advertisers, by design, here's what they do. They make you dissatisfied. The goal of every advertisement, it's very simple, it's this, is to convince you that you're not happy, and then to convince you if you simply bought their product, you would be happy. It's estimated that the average American sees or hears 4,000, 4,000 advertisements a day. It's 4,000 times a day you're being told you're not happy, and we wonder why we struggle with contentment, right? But again, simplicity begins with focus, an inward reality of the kingdom of God. If we try to attempt an outward life of simplicity without having an inward focus, it will only lead to legalism, right? We'll try to get things in order, but our hearts are not right. And so simplicity really begins with an inward focus. It's a unity. It's living out what Thomas Kelly calls the divine center. Soren Kierkegaard captures the idea of Christian simplicity very well in his book, a great title this book, it's called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. I love that title. But in this book he writes this. He says, experiencing the inward reality liberates us outwardly. Speech becomes truthful and honest. The lust for status and position is gone because we no longer need status and position. We cease from showy extravagance, not on the ground of being unable to afford it, but on the grounds of principle. Our goods become available to others. We join in the experience that Richard E. Byrd, after months alone in the barren Arctic, recorded in his journal, he wrote this, I am learning that a man can live profoundly without masses of things. I'm learning that a, that a man can live profoundly without masses of things. I would argue today that man can only live profoundly without masses of things. And so in order to live out this spiritual discipline of simplicity, we need to push back on the culture of our day. And can I just say, Christianity has always been counterculture, right? Our our culture today really lacks both the inward reality and the outward lifestyle of simplicity. Because we live in this modern world in its fractured and, and fragmented state, So often we're stuck in this maze of competing ideas. And if we're honest, we realize it. And so in one moment, man, we're making decisions according to the word of God. We're we're doing the right thing, right? And the next moment we make a decision out of fear of what others might think about us. And, And so we don't always have this unity of focus around which our life is oriented because the culture that we live in lacks a divine center. And yet at the same time, this culture has a need for security. And so what we see is this insane attachment to things. And so if we step back for a moment and we allow the weight of a passage like Matthew chapter 6, right, to, to press on us for just a bit, we begin to understand that the lust for things, the lust for affluence in our society is really insanity. It's insanity because it's lost touch with reality. And so when we fall into this way of thinking, we, we desire things that we don't need and we don't enjoy, right? It's been said that the American way is to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like, right? right? And, and so we feel ashamed when our clothes start to wear out or our cars start to wear out, right? i got to get a new one because what are people going to think? And it's time, I believe, for us church to realize, to wake up to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick ourselves. In order to move towards simplicity, we need to understand how unbalanced our culture has become. Society is full of covetousness and calls it ambition. We live in a society that's full of hoarding and they call it prudence. We live in a society that's full of greed and calls it in being industrious, right? Right? But it takes courage in this society to live differently. We should take exception, church, to a culture that defines people by how much they can produce and by how much they earn. And so the spiritual discipline of simplicity, I believe it can be recaptured in our lives. The the discipline could also be called the discipline of enough, right? It's the spiritual discipline of more no's than yes's. It's a spiritual discipline of not speaking, even when you have something to say. It's a discipline of emptying a closet rather than filling it up. It's a spiritual discipline that says, no, you only get to have one God. You don't get to have multiple gods in your life. It's a spiritual discipline, I want to tell you, that is a submission to calm. John of the Cross, you may be familiar with him. He wrote the poem, The Dark Night of the Soul. But he suggested this, that the mature spiritual life consists of three things. Write these down. Three things. The mature spiritual life consists of three things. Gentleness, tranquility, and great strength. Gentleness, tranquility, and great strength. Understand, it is, it's the spiritual beginner who's running around like a chicken with her head cut off, right? Doing all kinds of things in Jesus' name that Jesus hasn't asked you to do. And here's what Jesus is teaching me, okay? Yes, I'm still learning. He's he's teaching me this. He's teaching me there will always be enough time and enough resources, there will always be enough energy to do everything that Jesus is asking me to do. Did you know that this morning? There, There will always be enough time and enough resources, there will always be enough energy to do everything that God is asking you to do. There will, however, not be enough time and resources and energy to do everything Jesus is asking you to do and everything everyone else wants you to do, and everything that you want to do, right? And so if you find yourself at the edge of your energy and your resources and your time, you might want to start by getting still before the Lord and simply asking, Jesus, what am I doing that you're not asking me to do, right? What am I doing that you're not asking me to do? What am I doing that I'm asking you to bless, but you have no intention of blessing it because it's not something you want me to be doing in the first place? Is it possible that our lives are so spread out that we can't have any lasting difference and penetration, That, that we cannot live profoundly because we're too busy living broadly? Is it possible that we're counting on our lives to provide something for us that we're supposed to be providing for our lives? Are we looking to our jobs and our relationships for meaning or value? That's not where value comes from. Understand this this morning. You bring value to your life. Your life doesn't bring value to you. Like if you feel like your job is meaningless this morning, can I just say it's not your job's fault. You bring meaning to your job, not your job to you. Your job can never provide meaning. It's a blessing if it adds meaning that's already there. But for many of us, we're counting on our lives to do something for us that we are supposed to do for them. Think about how much of our energy is put into conjugating these, these words, to have, to do, to want, versus tranquility and gentleness and great strength. It's the difference between doing and being. And I know this this morning, when, when we take some time to, to dig deeply, we, we all have this desire to live profoundly. We want our lives to be full of purpose. And what you will find is that you can live profoundly without masses of things. You can live profoundly without a packed social calendar. You, you can live profoundly if you have some time and space. In fact, the discipline of simplicity teaches us you can only live profoundly if there is some margin in your life. What is the margin? Anyone who's written a college paper knows what margin is, right? It's what you adjust to, adjust to hit that page count, right? The margin, Right. It's that area around the outside. Margin is the blank space around the edges of the page that gives meaning to the words on the page. Listen, if the words are just written from left to right, top to bottom, they fill the whole page. Guess what gets lost in the abundance of words? It's meaning. That's how many live their life. Did you know that Jesus had the ability to say no? Do you believe that this morning? He had the ability to say, no, I'm sure there were people that asked him to do things that he declined to do without being worried about what they thought about him. Jesus could get alone to pray because he had enough margin in his life to do so. What about you? See, that's what it means to move toward maturity. Hans Hoffman was a a great artist. He put it this way. This is kind of a life quote that I, I have in my own life. It's this, remove the unnecessary so the necessary can speak. Remove the unnecessary so the necessary can speak. Again, Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you as well. You see, seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness is the only thing that can be central in the spiritual discipline of simplicity. The one who does not seek his kingdom first does not seek it at all. Yes, I know this morning there's other concerns in our lives. But the moment they become the focus of our energy and our thoughts, and the moment they become central, it becomes idolatry. And so if we focus on any other thing and we put that thing at the center, we, our, our thinking gets off and life gets so complicated. But Jesus said, focus on this. Focus on the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I want to tell you, when you place the kingdom of God first in your life, all those other concerns will be given their proper place. Now, what is the evidence of seeking first the kingdom of God, right? You would say, Pastor, well, I think I'm doing that with my life. I, I believe I'm seeking his kingdom. But what is the evidence of seeking his kingdom first? Jesus made it clear this, that freedom from anxiety is the inward evidence of seeking his kingdom. The inward reality of simplicity gives us this joyful unconcern for the possessions of life. Now, just because a person is living without much, that's no guarantee that he or she is living in the spiritual discipline of simplicity. The Apostle Paul taught us this, that the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil, right? And here's what I find, that so often those who have it the least love it the most, right? A- and so you can be have very little and still be filled with this obsession about getting more. On the other hand, we know this, that wealth and possessions don't bring freedom from anxiety. Soren Kierkegaard writes this, he says, riches and abundance come hypocritically clad in sheep's clothing, pretending to be security against anxieties, and they become the object of anxiety. They secure a man against his anxieties just about as well as the wolf which is put to tending the sheep secures them against the wolf. Simplicity, focus on the kingdom of God first, leads to a life that is free from anxiety. Freedom from anxiety, you could, if you're thinking about it in your own life, well, what does that look like? Let me give you three inner attitudes. Number one is an understanding that all we have is from God. All that we have comes from God. Yes, we work, but we know that it's not our work that actually gives us what we need, right? We, we seek the Lord for our daily bread. We are dependent upon God for the simplest things in life. And when we're tempted to think that what we have is the result of our own personal efforts, all it takes is a year like 2020, right, to remind us just how dependent we are for everything in life. And when we understand that, we can move to the second inner attitude, which is this, an attitude of trust in God, because we know it's God's business and not our business to care for what we have. God is ultimately able to protect what we possess. Now, Because of that, we can live with an attitude of trust. It doesn't mean we live live carelessly. It doesn't mean we leave the keys in the car, right? Or we, we don't lock the door on the house at night. But we know this. It's not the lock on the door that protects the house. It's God that protects the house. Amen? And so simplicity means this freedom to trust God for these things. And it leads to a third inner attitude that you'll see fleshed out in your life. It's this attitude of generosity. Because we know this this morning, man, it's more blessed to give than receive, right? We we know the joy of giving, and yet we cling to our possessions so often rather than sharing them. Why do we do that? It's because of anxiety. We're anxious about tomorrow. But if we truly believe that our God cares for us, then we don't need to be afraid. When we understand that God's not only our creator, but he's our loving father, then we can live open-handedly because we know that he will care for us. And so if someone's in need, man, we, we, we're free to help them. And so when we're seeking first the kingdom of God, these are attitudes that will characterize our lives. And if you put them all together, it's this, that, that it means this, that we know our heavenly father cares for us. We know that we can trust him and we know that we can live open-handedly. And so we can have this inward reality of simplicity in our lives that will always flesh itself out in an outward expression. Freedom will affect how we live and it will lead to that outward expression. So what does that outward expression look like? I want to give you ten things before we come to the communion table together this morning. Ten things. Maybe you write these down. Ten controlling principles for this outward expression of simplicity. It's a guide as you say, you know what, I want to live into this more. Pastor, how do I do this? Number one... Buy things for the usefulness rather than their status. When you're thinking about a car, think more about drivability than prestige, right? When you're looking at a home, think more about livability than how much it's going to impress others. And don't have more space than you need because you're going to have to clean that, okay? When you consider your clothes, buy what you need and wear your clothes until they wear out. Stop trying to impress everyone with your clothing and begin to impress them with your life, amen? Reject anything. Number two, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. What is an addiction? It's something that's beyond your control. And so if it's beyond my control, I realize I can't just decide to be free from it, but I can decide to open my life to the Holy Spirit and to his healing power. Say, Pastor, well, how do I know what's an addiction in my life? I would say look out for undisciplined compulsions. Those things you say, I can't live without this. You probably can. Third, develop a habit of giving things away. Develop a habit of giving things away. And don't just give away the things that you don't like or you don't need anymore. If you find yourself attracted to a certain possession, consider giving it to someone who needs it. Wow, that's radical, Pastor. Give things away. The opposite of accumulation is decumulation, right? All the things that we don't need, they just end up complicating our lives. We've got we to dust them. We've got to take care of them. We've got to pay for a storage facility. Oh, my goodness, Right? 100 hours a month, i got to pay to store stuff I haven't seen in a year, right? I'm serious, I'm with you on this. But we know this this morning, most of us could get rid of half of our stuff and it wouldn't be a serious sacrifice, right? And so we could simplify, we could simplify. And simplicity enables us to create this margin, to have enough in our lives with which to be generous. You see, if you define your security... By what you have, you will never be generous without looking at the person to whom you give as somehow taking away from your security. But if you realize that your security is in God and that everything you have is from Him, then what you are giving away is not your own to begin with, right? It's because of the generosity of God in your life that you can be generous. Listen, I think Christians ought to be the most generous people in the world because we've experienced the greatest generosity in our lives. Amen? Number four, I would say refuse the trap of modern gadgets. This is a challenging one for people like me, right? Some of you, you're gadget people. you got to have the latest gadget, the the latest time-saving device that doesn't save you any time anyway, right? The world will tell you you need the newest model, the newest version, when the reality is what you already have will probably do the trick. Five, learn to enjoy things without actually owning them. There is this obsession in our culture that owning things, man, I can control it, right? Because it's my own and I can somehow get more out of it. But there are a lot of things that we can get enjoyment from without actually possessing. We can go to the beach without having a beachfront property, right? We can go to the public parks. We can go to the libraries. Well, when they open again, right? There's all these things that we can enjoy without owning them. And listen to me. Don't buy a boat. Find somebody who owns a boat, okay? Let them have the headache, and and you just get to enjoy it, right? Simplicity, amen? Number six, develop a deeper appreciation for creation. We say it this way, stop and smell the roses. We we need to discover again that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Number seven, Dave Ramsey would love this one, avoid buy now and pay later thinking. If we're going to live a life of simplicity, church, we need to use caution before taking on debt. Ten commandments, right? One of them is do not covet do not covet. What does that mean? It means don't define your being by wanting. Don't let what your neighbor has inform your shopping list, right? Don't let what you're told you must have define what you need. Wanting is not the best way toward being. See, if you can't not covet, you're soon going to find out that your closet is full of things that everyone else thinks you need, but you personally have no need for, right? And then you'll have a yard sale, or you find a creative place to store it in the attic, right? But simplicity is the discipline of what is needed. Simplicity is the discipline of what is needed. Eight, Number eight, I would say this, obey Jesus' instruction about plain speech. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, basically he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Church, we got to be okay with saying no. Again, Jesus didn't need everyone's approval because he had the Father's approval that enabled him to say no. And Those no's actually enabled him to do what he said yes to. Many of us, we've said yes to so many things that if the checks got cashed on all those yeses on the same day, right, they would bounce. If you say you're going to do something, do it, but make honesty and integrity a characteristic of your speech. Number nine, reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. We are part of supporting a ministry called Love 146, and we recognize it even today, there's slavery in our world. A lot of it is sex trafficking that goes on. But, but a great majority of that slavery is used to produce goods. And, and so we need to think about it, right? How is my lifestyle and the things that I buy, is it causing the oppression of others? If, if it is, I can move away from that thing. I can do without that thing. Number 10, this is the last one. Shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. Church, we have to be honest with ourselves that it's easy to lose our focus when we're going after good things. Even when we're going after blessings like jobs or family or friends, right? Security, it can too quickly become the center. Scripture tells us of a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and this uh, young man's problem was that his hands were too full of his own stuff to follow Jesus. How sad, right? He had too much in his hands, and so he could not receive the kingdom of God like a child that he so desperately wanted and needed. But understand, he wanted the kingdom as an add-on to an already meaningful life. And Jesus' solution was simple. He said, go and sell all that you have. Get rid of, of all your stuff and then you'll have the capacity to follow me. Understand, it wasn't in the getting rid of the stuff that the kingdom of God would come. No, his hands were full of stuff that he had to get rid of so that his hands would be empty enough to receive the kingdom of God like a child. Would you stand with me this morning? I wonder as we come to the communion table, I'm wondering today if any of us would fit into that category. That if we looked at our lives, we could honestly say, man, my... My life is so full of stuff that I, I, I can't really live into and receive the kingdom of God like a child. I'm, I'm distracted. I'm disintegrated. I'm, my life is so full of complexity and all these things that rule me. But today, if, if you want freedom, I want to tell you it's living profoundly with less. And So we keep having to go back and focusing on the kingdom of God keeping Jesus at the center of our life. That's why we're going to come to the communion table this morning. That's why we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us. We want to focus on Him and make Him the center of our lives. And so before we receive the bread, before we receive the cup, we're going to worship the Lord. But just take a moment to focus in on Him. Take a moment even right now to say, God, what are the things that I'm doing that you haven't asked me to do? What are the things in in my life that I'm asking you to bless, but you have no intention of blessing because, Lord, do not what you want me to be doing. Lord, help me to focus in on you and put you as the very center of my life as we worship, as we prepare to receive the elements. Let that be your prayer this morning.